Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Greg Karam. Greg, the New York baseball community, really the baseball community at large, lost a true giant of the sport when Yogi Berra passed away this morning at age 90. So what is your favorite Yogi Berra memory, malapropism, etc.? There's a lot to choose from, but I think I like the one where he said something like uh, 90% of the game is half mental or something like that. It's 90% like, of the game is mental, that rather half is physical. Yeah, 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 so, something like that. I, I, liked, I liked that one because it, it's just uh, when, you, well, when you, like most of the things he says, when you stop and like step back and think about it, it just kind of makes sense. Because, it's actually true, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite, which I hadn't heard before today, is that uh, when he, uh, there's two. One was he uh, came back from the uh, Aflac commercials he was doing and told mm. someone that he was very surprised the duck didn't actually talk. <laughs> and another one was shared by uh, Emma Spahn, editor at Sports Illustrated, that uh, he often, I think she like, grew up in the same town as him or was living in the same town as him for a while. He would just, like, hang out at his uh, buddy's, like, car dealership, like, just in a folding chair on weekends, <laughs> just hanging out, <laughs> which is, like, the most old Italian man thing to do. Yeah, pretty much. Like, I'm surprised he wasn't sit- playing, like, setback or something, a little, like, card table out. Yeah, or, like, sitting outside of the sausage shop in the Sopranos. A glass of uh, Galliano or Drambuie. This is Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 140. When we last spoke to you, it was live from Pitch Talks, last week in Astoria. Just a rousing success, as far as I'm concerned. Got to have a few beers out on a patio and uh, talk Mets baseball with various people. Good time. But I did leave you all telling you to no matter what happens the rest of the way this month, enjoy yourself. It's been a great season. And then the Mets lost two out of three to Yankees, and it was just John Carpenter's escape from Panic City <laughs> all over again. It was not in the, not ideal, not ideal, just put it that way. So we're recording this on Wednesday night. The Mets magic number is six. They are currently leading the Braves 2 nothing. The Orioles are currently leading the Nationals 2-1. to one. Magic number is six. Bartolo Colon is still not giving up a hit, and he's going to throw a 90-pitch perfect game, which if he does, you already know about it by the time you hear this, probably. Yeah. How is, we'll revisit the question that was posed to us shortly after the Mets' 11-game winning streak at the beginning of the year. We've come back to it a few times. How is your mental state regarding the 2015 Mets? It's so funny because... I, I said at the beginning of the year that there would become a point where I, I, my expectation would be that the team was going to make the playoffs, and then I would become you know, anxious and, and, and you know nervous. And I just feel like we went from the point where like this is all just this is all fun. Like uh, hopefully we we're at five hundred. Let, let's let's go on a run here, and we just like blew right through all the anxious and anxiety, and just like got a seven game lead, and just. I, I, I became super confident, and I still am super confident, and I'm just I'm feeling really, really good. Like I'm not nervous. I'm just feeling like this is a good baseball team. It's a very strange feeling because it's not something I felt since like probably 2006, and maybe early in 2007. But I feel really confident and good. I'll tell you what, my uh, I've had a good I've had a good sports day. This has been a good sports day for me, Greg. I, I, I'm aware. <laughs> I woke up this morning. I should say I woke up this morning. I filed my first BP piece at about 1.30 last night. Woke up this morning to my, to my debut at Baseball Prospectus. Uh, got to listen to Sheffield Wednesday knock off Newcastle in the League Cup this afternoon. Nice. At Newcastle. Nice. Oh. Yeah. And draw nice. and set up a uh, round four, which is a round of 16 match. At Hillsborough against Arsenal in a month. Oh boy! So I'm I'm ready for hashtag Arsenal Twitter all up wow, in my wow, uh, yeah. in it's my feed like, for that one. That's clashing. 
that is. And there's there's some history there. And I came home. Um, I put on a pot of sauce, made a little gravy, which is reducing on the stove right now while I record this. I poured myself a nice glass of a, a young uh, young garnacha, which is pretty good, which I'm wow. going to need to refill during the podcast, apparently. And I'm pretty relaxed. Yeah, got to feel good, right? I mean, so there's a couple of things going on here. I think the the supposed panic by Mets fans was a little bit overblown anyway, maybe because it was the Yankees. We were at the game Saturday night, uh, Saturday afternoon. It was boring. Yeah, it was just well, a bad baseball game. Of course, that's what's going to happen when it goes like single, single home run to start yeah, the yeah. game. But I mean, even that, it was just, it was with the Fox innings breaks being long. It just, it was just boring. Uh, Joe Girardi. The, Joe Girardi's endless pitching changes. And the offense had a bad week. You want to wrap the Marlins series into that as well. That's going to happen. They weren't going to, you know, they're not playing Colorado and Philly all the time. We know this. Um, people forget that in 2007, it wasn't, everyone says 17, you know, seven up with 17 to play. That disappeared like in the first six games. And it was a dogfight after that. You know, in 2008, they never really had a huge lead uh, down the stretch. You know, this is not that team. This is not that situation. Um, the Nats are not the 2007 Phillies. They're not the 2008 Phillies or the Brewers. They're just not that good. So I'm relaxed. I'm I'm feeling good. All our emails are about the playoff roster. So obviously <laughs> you're feeling good. And there's 10 of them. So you're feeling pretty good too. And, you know, that's fine. Like I said, uh, I think something I haven't really hammered home on the podcast. I've said it to various people in various forums, is that this team, I'm 33 years old. I will probably never see another team, a Mets team, exactly like this in my lifetime. It's such a weird confluence of things. Like, there'll be more seasons like 2006. There'll be more seasons like 1986, hopefully. There'll be plenty of seasons like the early 90s and the mid-90s and the early 2000s and the early 80s. There'll be plenty of those seasons as well. Um, There'll be seasons like 2005. Um, This season with, you know, I don't want to say zero expectations. Because I think we thought, because of sort of the nature of the the second wild card and everything else, they'd be a, a decent team. In the mix. So in the mix. In the mix-up for those last two wild cards, or those two wild card spots. Um, just the way they've gotten where they are now is so bizarre. And just the wins over the Nationals, the crazy trade deadline, you know, Ioannis Suspedis being Ioannis Suspedis. You know, it's, 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 you, make a big, you make an interesting point because I saw somebody on, on Twitter, and it's kind of a Debbie Downer, but it's, it's worth considering, is that you know, Mets fans should really enjoy this season because the chances are that next season, given the expectations going into next season, it won't be as fun as this season is based on the expectations coming in. So the expectations was, you know, fringe playoff team, actually kind of breaks through and does make the playoffs whereas you go into next year and then you know life is all about expectations right you set your expectations and then you either meet you know go below them or or meet them or go above them and so the the chances that the Mets meet or go below you know those expectations next year you know it's you're probably not going to exceed your expectations next year like you did this year you know what I'm saying so like we should enjoy what we're doing what's what's going on this is not a good comp um, but it's probably the closest approximation of 1969 I'll see in my lifetime. <laughs> well, no, I mean, there's a whole other confluence of things that went into that season and sort of that you can't recreate that. You can't replicate that. Um, and 73 doesn't even really fit because that was still a good team in the early 70s. Yeah, I guess, I mean, because... 
some of the better teams, some of the breakout teams from the 80s didn't actually end up making the playoffs because, you know, only a couple of teams did back then. Right. And so, I mean, and, and it doesn't really have like a 99 or you know, 98, 99 feel because those teams weren't, I guess, they weren't as homegrown as this team is maybe. And so it just, it, it yeah, I mean, that's the, a, I mean, the 84 team was fairly, uh, I mean, sort of a comp I've discussed with some of our one of our mutual friends is sort of the '84 team. If the '84 team made the playoffs, yeah, that's that's a, that's a great. That's exactly what I would say. The team that has a lot of homegrown guys. You know, this is not something that happens, I, I imagine, too often. Through in a, in a big market team like this, you know, the, probably a normal uh, big market team that has money to spend you know, typically you're, you're you know you're buying free agents and and you know, you're trading guys to constantly improve the major league roster and you don't get this opportunity to you know plant those seeds you know and and watch them grow into the major league team the way that this team has over the past couple of years with their uh, you know austerity measures so just tonight's lineup which is pretty much their a lineup you could swap in Flores for Tejada but the point would remain the same either way um, David Wright, homegrown player. Daniel Murphy came up through the system. Duda came up through the system. Darno, close enough. Um, Conforto, homegrown player. Tejada slash Flores, homegrown player. You know they're pitching. All four of their starters, in all likelihood, in the playoffs will be guys that they drafted and developed, and are all very good. Um, there is. It's not a team of mercenaries, and the mercenaries they do have are fucking awesome. <laughs> it's like Juan Uribe and Yoannis Espedes. <laughs> yeah, and Cologne, who's like you know a guy who just doesn't give a fuck about anything. It's 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 a really it's just such a fun group to root for. It's it hasn't like, been it hasn't been fun like this in a, in a very long time. It's just a very enjoyable team. Yeah. And look, I'm not looking forward to... I've already made three separate bets with my father on the hypothetical Mets-Dodgers. Oh, jeez, that's too many. Well, we need to move a dresser. We need one more dresser into the apartment <laughs> so my wife can get all her clothes unpacked so she stops uh, going crazy about us not being unpacked. <laughs> so I finally, like, we'll get the damn dresser in Sunday after I got back from the city. Load up the dresser. He had just gone back from the golf course, so we'd already had a few. <laughs> He's like, I want a drink. I'm like, I'll make you a cocktail here. I have a fully stocked bar. And I want to go out and have a drink. I'm like, ah, fine, whatever. Went out, went across the bridge, uh, had a couple barrel-aged Manhattans, a couple, uh, you know, big, like, charcuterie plate. And he starts <laughs> drilling me about the... The Mets Dodger series. He wants to make a bet on. It. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna make a bet on it. That's fine. That's how I got my, uh, I got my bachelor party paid for because I bet that uh, Jose Reyes would play 140 games his first season after he signed with the Marlins. Hasn't played 140 games since, <laughs> but I bet the right year. I got my bachelor yeah. party paid for. So somehow we ended up betting on. We bet on who has home field advantage. That's a that's a Saturday afternoon brewery trip. Okay. To the brewery of the person's choice. Um, who wins the hypothetical series, which is uh, either my parents are taking me out or I'm taking my parents out. And then if either of the team makes the World Series, the second restaurant trip with like the steak, with like the radius of restaurants you can go to, widened. <laughs> so that's what I'm dealing with. <laughs> that's good. Be very, that that kind of sucks for the loser. That could be it, uh, it can get double down real quick. It can get expensive, yeah. There's no, uh, there's no double or nothing there. When you're out, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> the best you can hope for is a split home field advantage in the divisional series, really. Yeah, I guess. Jeez. Barrel Age Manhattans were excellent, though. Hey, quality time with Pops is yeah. uh, good times. I may get him. If, there, if there's a Mets stuff. So, so here's a little confession that I'm hoping will not come back to uh, bite me in the ass. But I've already sort of planned out our hypothetical playoff preview. Okay. Right, yeah. I'm going to try to get him on the podcast to discuss the uh, wow. the Mets-Dodger series, yeah. Get Pops <laughs> on. That would be fun. That would it definitely would be, be something, fun. yeah. That's going to be, just to warn all of you, it's going to be like four hours long, no. as I have it planned right now. 
Maybe popping champagne. Maybe dousing myself in the champagne. <laughs> Willie Randolph did promise me it would taste uh, taste even sweeter eight years later. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that's still true. I have a bottle of champagne I've had in the fridge for a while, and I, I didn't realize that I could use it when they clinch. It's a good idea. I'll just go out and buy a bottle of champagne. I had one in the fridge That's for a while, too. too but <laughs> some sort of sparkling wine. So enjoy Some yourself. Opportunities to uh, celebrate. Yeah. yeah, you get to like seriously enjoy yourself. Right. And the other thing I think that's sort of underrated about this season is sort of like by the end of this season we've settled all family debts. <laughs> we beat up on the Braves, beat up on the Phillies, beat up on the Nationals. Just gotta get those Cardinals. Dodgers and the Cardinals. Maybe a Subway Series rematch with the Yankees. I don't know. Mm, that would. Uh... I don't know. It's a tougher road for them to uh, to hoe. I was trying to figure this out the other day. I was talking to a Yankees friend of mine. Who starts the one-game wildcard playoff for them? Uh, like, who do you go with? I know it's an Aka just sprained his hamstring. Can you start the bullpen? <laughs> Johnny Holstaff? <laughs> uh, yeah, Tanaka's uh, hurt right now. I mean, I so... assume he'll be fine by by playoff time. Right, but they, it, said, it, they it, sound like they're going to miss a start. But who do you probably, start? Severino? Pineda? Uh, uh, I, I, I probably still would go Tanaka. Yeah, an early hook. You know, maybe two times through the order and go to that. We know Girardi that, likes using his bullpens. <laughs> oh, God. Jesus. <laughs> it's like two outs in the ninth. And, it was two outs in the ninth in a five-run game, yes. That, that was brutal. You got very upset. <laughs> <sighs> so now we'll answer your emails. Before we do emails, we do housekeeping. It's the Mason Avenue Audio, episode 140. Mason Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. Find us on the internet at amazingavenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash Avenue. Find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio. You can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. Follow the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash Avenue. Or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Greg Karam. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Karam. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. Our first email is from David. Dear Jeff and random guests with strong New York accent, just a guess. Not that strong. I thought you're from Bergen County anyway. Yeah, right, exactly. It's time for us all to roster bait while maintaining eye contact with each other. That escalated quickly, David. On what players the Mets will bring to the playoffs? My math is correct. Someone pretty good is getting left off the playoff roster. The bench locks seem to be KJ, Tejada, Plaw, Uribe, Ligaris, and Kadir. That's six guys for five spots. If they go with 12 pitchers, they're not going with 12 pitchers. They go with 12 pitchers. I will light something on fire during the podcast preview, possibly myself. This would leave a speed guy like EY off the team. So do they go with 11 pitchers to keep those six guys, or is one of them at risk? The off days doesn't seem like 12 pitchers are needed. It's not. They go with 11 pitchers who's left off besides Nice and Eric O'Flaherty. Can we leave off both of them? Is that the idea? Um, so I, a lot of this comes down to the Matt Harvey situation. I'm an advocate of 15-10, but if Harvey is... 10. 10 pitchers. Wow. You're only using four starters. You only need six relievers. You're carrying seven relievers now, and you're not using your mop-up guy in the playoffs anyway. And that gives you a spot for Eric Young Jr. Wait, you're advocating carrying Eric Young Jr.? I'm advocating carrying 15 players, and I can't think of a uh, 
you know you can use if you're if you're carrying a seven man bench you can have a designated pinch runner. Yeah, my only problem with that is that you get once you give uh, TC these toys, he's not starting Eric Young Jr. in a playoff no, no. game. I know that. I know that. I could just I could see him misusing Eric Young Jr. in a situation. You know, maybe maybe it's a tie game and a guy that he double switches out. Outside. He double switches out Michael Conforto for Eric Young Jr. Yeah, sure. You know something. I could see him doing something like that. You go into extras. You, I could just see him doing something stupid with an Eric Young Jr. I'd rather limit his number of toys in that regard. You know, toys that suck. Um, I, I think that, I mean, oh, I was looking at it today. I was going with 11 pitchers, although I couldn't actually really settle, settle on the 11 pitchers. So maybe that's a good argument for 10. Um, well, you got the, you got the, the four, the four guys we mentioned at the outset, uh, Harvey, DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Mats, yeah, um, Familia, yeah. Reed, and Clippard, uh, probably Robles and Goodell. Okay, so Goodell was the one I was struggling with because like he just hasn't been they haven't been using him that much lately. It's weird because it's September, but I mean I, I get that. Um, I guess you probably need a lefty in there. I don't know who that is, Gil Martin. Yeah, that's that's kind of an issue. Um, you know, because Nice, if Nice wants to be the if, if Nice commits to being sort of the low arm slot cutter curveball junk baller, you could use him. Yeah. I wouldn't have a huge problem with that. This is sort of my argument. Well, I mean, we might talk about it later, but this is sort of my argument for putting Mads in the bullpen. Mm. Not as a loogie, mm. but you know, big spot, a couple left. You know, I could see it. Mm. <laughs> but then, so for, in your scenario, I mean, who are you leaving off? Who are you leaving on in, in in the bullpen? Are you are you keeping Cologne? No, I'm not putting uh, Cologne in the pen. See, that, this is where you lose me. This is where you lose me. Goodell and Robles can, you... can go two innings. But like, okay, let's say let's say you know, if you need look, uh, if you need to length, somebody if you need length. If you need length, then you've already lost the game. So who cares? Uh... Burn Eric Goodell for five innings. If people don't approach the playoffs the right way once you're you know if you're if it's seven to one in the fourth and Syndergaard's warning or whatever you're probably not coming back from that fine but but you want you i mean who you take is there any scenario where you're happy bartolo cologne is coming in as a middle reliever in a playoff game no not really this is part of the reason why i want him starting game four Look, I, I like Bay as much as the next guy, but... And I actually don't even like him that much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my six... If I go 15-10, my six relievers are... Reed, Clippard, Familia, uh, Robles, Goodell, Gilmartin. Gil Martin. All right. If I have, if I'm taking an eleventh for me, it's either Gil Martin or Nice. Depending if I think Nice will make the transition. And I'm taking eleventh is probably Verrett if you want length. All right, that's not bad. I mean, I, I just don't actually see the scenario where Gil Martin is useful. Um, I don't see him as a pure loogie guy. Uh, and if you're, well, I mean, who's the would be coming in facing Adrian Gonzalez? Is that what's you want a loogie for? Yes, I I don't know if I just is he even good? Is he good against lefties? Joe Martin? Yeah, yeah. So he's good enough, and hitters carry the platoon split. That's true too. Okay, all right, fine. You can carry him. Our next email is from Carrie. Greetings from the greatest borough known as Brooklyn. We all know that David Wright isn't a superstar. But my question is this: Are you Espedes and Michael Conforto that? Best. The Brooklynite, formerly known as New Orleans, is again a Brooklynite. Carrie. I mean, I have, what, at this point, 45 games that suggest Jonas Suspedes is one of the greatest baseball players in history. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so, 
someone on this podcast, one of your hosts, may have implied on Twitter that uh, Jonas Sabetis could kill a puppy on the field and Mets fans wouldn't care at this point. Somebody. Somebody. One of us. 50-50 shot of getting guessing who it was that would say such a thing. But there's not much of a track record before these 45 games. Or so. Of him being more than a you know, a good above average corner outfielder. A yeah, nice people were player. talking about him getting a contract this offseason that was less than a hundred million. Yeah. That ain't happening now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's neither here nor there. Um and the the amount of guys that just sort of like when the f- switch flips at thirty, it happens. I mean, it definitely does happen. I mean just not often. No. You enjoy the ride. Yeah. I'm not saying that's the reason not to resign him. I would probably resign him. I think he's a very good baseball player and fits a specific need for this team. And I like see him hitting just ridiculous, like one-handed home runs into the second deck at City Field. Yeah. Conforto's the interesting one. Um, when I wrote him up on the side of him, it was an OFP 60, which is an above-average regular a good quality starting major league player. A starter on a first division team, which apparently is what the Mets are this year, and what Michael Conforto is doing right now. Um, is there more in the tank? He's 22 years old. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's not facing any lefties. Let's get that out of the way again. Yeah. Um, but even if he's a, you know... worse than league average hitter against lefties. That's not going to move the needle that much. Because he sure can hit major league righties. No, that's for sure. That is a thing that is happening. Um, He's going to be a good major leaguer. Um, He already is, so... Is he going to make some all-star games? I I can see him making a couple all-star games. He seems like a kind of guy who could probably hit for a solid average, um, too. So, because you know, he uses all fields. Yeah, I think and, I'm, I'm actually writing about this, but I think where I missed on him specifically is on the hit tool, because of the stuff I saw in Binghamton that I discussed on our live show, sort of that geared up approach you'd have to make an adjustment to uh, in hitters counts, which he did very quickly, and the and the defense, which. I think is the interesting thing. And sort of one of the things I'm going to be writing about is how do you figure out corner outfield defense in a short look, like a long mm. weekend. Like you can, you know, you can usually tell if a guy's a center fielder, unless it's Juan Lagares, who I saw for way long, more games than I did Conforto and didn't think he was a center fielder, but he wasn't playing center field most of the time. Uh, sort of how do you figure out what looks like good corner outfield defense. Because I thought he could play there. Um, how much of it is just a function of the opportunities he's getting right now? I don't know. Yeah. I think his athleticism was... His athleticism was underrated because uh, he looks yeah. like a stocky dude. I mean, he is a stocky I, yeah. dude. That's exactly what I think. Because even, um, say, even at the game we were at, he, you know, he made a spectacular catch in the field, but he took a bad route and was able to make up for that with, you know, Good, good athleticism, just just able to close on with speed and then also make a leaping catch. So, uh, and you saw that again last night on a on a short uh, fly ball. So, yeah, that that was the part that was really undersold. I, I kind of got the impression that this guy was not couldn't move that well, and he can move quite well. He can move like a, an athletic twenty two year old. Yeah, uh, and the standard in left field is fairly low too defensively. That's true. Uh, and you know he he isn't a great runner. But it's not awful. I think I had him as like a 35, 40 runner. And he's he's very smart on the basis. So that everything plays up. Like that's yeah. the thing. That's sort of my thesis. It's like how do you figure out what plays up? Hey, this this guy's just a baseball player. He's just a baseball player. Him and Michael Kadire. <laughs> Is he a superstar? You know, I don't know if he if he if he qualifies for that. He's a guy that's going to be an above-average regular for this team for a long time. I think that's uh, looking quite likely right now. Yep. 
Our next email is from another of our many Davids. Dear Jeff in the left speaker and the other dude in the right. Look, I thought I mixed it down to mono. <laughs> I'm recording it that way because it's easier to equalize. I always mix it down for some reason. I didn't mix it down properly for episode 138. Mea culpa. Oh, this is a long one. And he ends with P.S. I realize this was barely a question. Great. Do I have this one? Uh, no, because he emailed it directly to me. So you do Got not. It. So sit back and uh, enjoy. Okay. I am confounded by the lack of credit given to Sandy Alderson and the Wilpons. <laughs> there's more. Okay. I'm going to let that sit there for a second, but there is more. <laughs> Every major Mets writer seems to be actively trying to avoid giving these men their just due, and like one of you guys to stand up and say we were wrong. If not wrong in your case, Jeff, definitely not exactly right on how this organization has been turning itself around for the past five years. The success they are having now is not luck. It is not the result of Omar Minaya's drafting efforts. I think I would, I, would, I would encourage you to find a citation of me saying that on the podcast at some point. <laughs> I know you're not referring to me specifically in that, instant, in that instance, David, but still. It is a plan that Sandy has been putting into action for many years, finally coming to fruition. The last five years may have been made somewhat more painful as a result of the Wilpons' financial problems. That much is probably somewhat true, so the moves made in year one and two brought key pieces back that are now just starting to show their value at the major league level. Building a ship that is made to last takes time. Six years is probably the amount of time it takes to create a perennial contender from the ground up, especially considering the major league mess that Sandy inherited. It took two years just to get rid of all the crap they had on the roster. Thank you, Omar. Watching Michael Bourne ground out weekly to Kelly Johnson last night, or Stephen Drew blow the game in the field two days ago, reminded me of the countless bad ideas posited by Met writers and radio hosts that have left us in the middle of nowhere. Sandy has taken shot after shot for not making these bad deals, and everyone seems to be forgetting this. Uh, Sandy really wanted Michael Bourne, by the way. <laughs> and other players that I, I can't name on the podcast that you probably wouldn't be happy about either. But that's, again, neither here nor there. Results are what matters. Yes, you want to suspect this is a big part of what has happened since August 1st, so Sandy is the guy that stocked the minor leagues with enough depth to absorb this kind of acquisition without batting an eye, whether or not he is resigned. If we get a trade Conforto, Rosario, or Nimmo to make any one of those deals would not have been nearly as easy to enjoy the ride, whatever the outcome. Beyond the talent that has finally begun to pay dividends in flushing, the overall character of this team, as you've been to your last podcast, these are likable, homegrown guys that made up the bulk of the major league roster. They were brought in from elsewhere. They've been consistently solid baseball guys who bring solid character to the table. Grandison, Bartolo, and Kadire are all major positives, if not always on the field and definitely in the clubhouse. Everyone who has watched the match this year knows Kadire will make his presence felt in a big spot. If I needed a Gary Carter-type hit in the bottom of 16th of Game 6, he would be the guy most likely to get my confidence. I, w- I will hearken back to my saying that I don't want a Mets Twitter making those kind of decisions over Terry Collins. I took some guff for on a recent email. The present is bright. The future is brighter. I don't think this team is ready to win at all, but they could if they don't. It'll be the young starting pitchers. They're not quite ready to garner that ring, which is ironic considering all the praise they get. We need a limitless, more confident in the integrity of his elbow, Matt Harvey. More experienced Noah. Uh, Jake post headline for the one and two postseason starters, Jake and the Fat Man, and Matt's to really be ready to get, beat the Cardinals or Pirates. With or without Suspetus, we will get there in the near future. Credit Sandy and the guys that hired him. Take this organization from less than nothing into perennial future contender, all with withstanding the blitz of bad press and the retarded fan base negativity. Oh. David. Whew. Look, I. So I, when I, I said I, enjoy the ride, I didn't say you, you, you can tamp it down a little bit, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so look, I have issues with this. All right, go ahead, Greg. No, I, I just like if you, if you want to say if you want to give the Wilpons credit for anything, like that seems like a stretch to me. Because if you're a Wilpon apologist out there who's just kind of like Jeff Wilpon saying, said, "Trade Michael Fulmer." I read it in the uh, in the newspaper. Yeah, yeah. He said, he, <laughs> he was like, can I do this? Can I take on the money? Go ahead, do it." <laughs> that that's basically the idea, but. If you're going to give the Wilpons credit for anything, like if you want to be a Wilpon apologist, like you can't, you can't wait five years and then say, "Haha, I told you so." You know, you're like a person who's, you know, saying that there's going to be a market crash and then waiting seven years and then saying, "Yeah, I was right." You know, eventually happened. You know, you can't just gloss over the last, you know, three, four, five years and just say, "It worked out eventually." Yeah, it was going to work out eventually. Um, 
maybe it would have worked out sooner had they given more money and and allowed them more things to happen. And and the names that were thrown out, you know, like a Michael Bourne or, or whatever, you know, those were a function of the amount of money that they were allowed to spend. Like those were the guys who were in their price range who they could have gone after had they you know, maybe not had a, a draft pick associated with them. Um, if they had more money, maybe they could have done something else. So I find it a little rich to... At this point, congratulate the Wilpons on on anything really. Um, maybe maybe their tight wallets. Maybe they saved um, some poor decisions from being made. But like we don't really we don't really know. We're not equipped to know that that is the case. So that's a little bit much for me. As for Sandy Allerson, I think everyone's giving him enough credit right now. I mean, it, it depends on how your view of things. If, if he had enough money, uh, or if he didn't have money, then. He's done. He's done what he could have done, and, and things have worked out at this point. And you do give him credit, but I don't. I, giving the Wilpons any kind of credit right now is a little bit much for me. That's good by me. I liked your answer. So move on to Justin's email. I also editorialized the entire email anyway. So Jeff and Steve question mark taking a guess based on appearances lately. No, because if Steve was on, I would just complain about Night of Champions. And nobody wants that. Been listening to the show for a few years and finally wanted to write in and say thanks for the great show you do. My question comes from this John Heyman article on CBS Sports about next year's Mets team. This is a part that caught my eye. Two years ago, the Mets' efforts to lure Robinson Cano across town were much more serious than ever portrayed, and the Mariners hadn't blown folks away with their $240 million 10-year bid. The Mets may have had a shot out, but the Yankees were at $175 million, so they do have the dough. Is this true? Was this ever reported elsewhere? I don't ever remember hearing about this. Again, thanks for the good stuff. Best, Justin. So I think, was this in the Maverick book? Where it was implied they were going to go, they were willing to go eight years, $200 million? That's always the number I heard in regards I to sort of the Cano dealings. Somebody, I didn't read the Maverick book, but somebody said that Alderson realizes the value of like a superstar, and yeah. then he was serious about Cano. Yes. I mean, the meeting with Jay Z was not just lip service. Um, do they have the money to actually do that? I think we'll probably find out this off season, because <laughs> uh, that's going to be maybe a little bit more than Yuenis Suspedes is going to get, but it's in the general vicinity. Yeah, he's going to get overpaid by somebody. But overpaid is a is a it's a relative term. It is a relative term. Get good players. Yes. Our next email is from Ali. Since I absolutely will not, under any circumstances, ask questions pertaining to the postseason right now, how about a question about Suspetus for next year? Oh, this is a good transition. I did not plan this. Doesn't it seem like the only way we can resign him is by trading Harvey? and getting whomever Harvey, whoever takes Harvey in the trade to take Kadir as well. What do you expect the return on Harvey to be, and do you think they should trade him this offseason? Um, if they can't afford the Onus Espedes contract, uh, clearing one year, $13 million or whatever it is off the uh, Kadir deal, it's not going to make a difference. <laughs> It does. Yeah, and if, I, if I'm trading, if I'm trading Harvey, I want to maximize I want, value. Yeah, I don't want to clear salary as part of it. Um, what would I expect the return on Harvey to be? I think I did. I I, I uh, mapped out a, a rough idea with basically a a major league quality pre-R bat. So... So Mookie Betts. So Mookie or... Betts. And someone yeah. in that class. Um, a, you know, top-line prospect of some sort, top-50 type guy. Um, so let's say, if we want to stick with the Red Sox, um, Yuan Mankata. That might be a little steep. Maybe Raphael Devers. And then a couple guys you like, whatever, you know, a couple flyers, whatever the, you know, like a six to 10 guy on a team list and then a flyer you like. Plus, I don't think the Mets can afford Mankata. Oh, that's right. He has that crazy, uh, that's not that much money. 
It just isn't that much money. Um, but I don't think they trade him anyway. So the Red Sox are always a bad example because all of their prospects are untouchable. Yeah, I was a little um, like when the Harvey stuff first came out. I was very upset and I wanted to trade Harvey, but I've I've walked that back a little. And I don't. I, I mean, I don't, it I depends would, on how the rest of the season plays out. I think to a certain extent, but mm. I think it'll. Once they clinch, whatever they do in the playoffs, it'll blow over enough where, like, I don't think they're resigning him long term. So I think, you know, I said that before on the show, there's probably sort of like a, a David Price model deal where maybe after the 2016 season, um, you look to deal him to maximize return. Then that's probably the sweet spot because trying to trade. You know, three years of a cost-controlled ace. There's really no no uh, precedent for that, so I don't know how you get value. And that also gives you another year to prove he's healthy and Matt Harvey-ish. So uh, yeah. I don't think it happens either. And again, where are they filling that rotation spot? Here we talked mm. about on the live show. There's just that's that's a very big hole that they're not able to fill right now. You know, even if it's say a Dodgers trade and you know Julio Urias is coming back, that's not he a seems shoot. like a. I mean, he really does seem like a prime you know, extension guy who you know he's, you he's, think... he's obviously concerned about his, his long term viability for his career. It seems like this would be a great opportunity to sign this guy, buy out a couple free agent years, and put tens of millions of dollars in his pocket. But we'll see what happens. We have another set of Would You Rathers from AWIX. Salutations, Jeff. I enjoyed the responses to my last email. A collection of Would You Rather scenarios left Sipa dreaming about Alderson criticizing his bagel management. So much so I decided to see if I could waste time on your podcast once again. I'll stick to the Would You Rather theme because I'm too lazy to change the subject line or start a new email. The Mets' current run also gives us some new scenarios to contemplate that were too hard to even fathom two months ago when I last wrote in. Would you rather sit next to Steven Matz's grandpa whenever Matz is scheduled to pitch in the playoffs for one season or sit in the press box for one playoff game? Things to consider, epic selfies, networking, a gif of you catching Grandpa Matz's dentures as he shouts them out of his mouth when Steven Matz strikes out the side. Um, so I'm going to do a dickish thing on the podcast right now, Greg. Yeah. Brace wanna, yourself. If I want to sit in the press box for a playoff game, I can do it. Oh, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I can get that credential now. Okay. So okay, Jeffrey. <laughs> so I'll take the first one. And the press box isn't a great view anyway. If, you know, in most places. All right. Well, guys, I'll take the press box. You're going to be sitting in the Acela Club if you're in the if you're in the press box for a playoff game, though. Is the problem? Because you get all the you get everybody's there. You get all the auxiliary guys. Yeah, it's going to be crowded. But I'm guessing you don't rate. That's where, I, that's where I ended up at uh, Futures a few years ago. Yeah. I was in the auxiliary box for some of it. I was trying to put some notes together. Would I think rather, it would still be fun. It would be. Would you rather go fishing with the Grom and Mats or spend a day with Harvey? Things to consider. Would they laugh at you if you were squirmish with a fish on the hook? What does a Harvey day look at? Look like spa, shopping, rangers game, mystic aquarium. <laughs> I've been to the Mystic Aquarium several times on class field trips. I don't need to uh, to go again. Um, That's a good one. Are Degrom and Matt? I mean, I I totally believe that Jacob Degrom, the man that you know broke his non-pitching ham, helping a friend castrate a bull, is a fisherman. <laughs> I don't know if Matt's is I mean, Long Island. I guess maybe. I, I still would rather go with Harvey. Just I would I really too. would be, love I'm to curious. just peel that up back and see what's up. Would you rather sign Suspitus or have a guarantee that Flores and Conforto have a full season of performance replicating their post-deadline stats? Things oh, to on. consider. Signing Suspitus doesn't preclude the second scenario from occurring. Hmm. Um, I will take my main man, Wilmer Flores, as a uh, starting all-star shortstop for the National League uh, <laughs> all-star team next year. Yeah, I'd probably go with that one too, but I, I, I feel like Flores' honeymoon is starting to come to a close. <laughs> Watch it. 
Would you rather be in the clubhouse for the celebration and include in the after party after the Mets win a divisional series, or be watching and celebrating with 20 of your closest Mets fan, friends, and family as the Mets clinch the pennant? Things to consider, championships, partying with the 2015 Mets. Oh, you got to be with your friends and family. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like it's people. just like like the clubhouse celebration. It's just like with all the, with all like the plastic wrap everywhere. The guy, you just end up like covered in champagne. Yeah, is the only thing that also, happens you with that. You're celebrating with a bunch of strangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Would you rather have complete autonomy over all uniform decision for the Mets? Or a remote control that allows you to change air slash weather conditions at City Field instantaneously. Things considered. The Mets sporting a Pater Nostro on every player's back on your birthday. Retiring numbers you want retired. Bringing back Mercury Mets. Eliminating rain delays. Increasing air density when the opposing team is up for bat. Fortuitous wind. <laughs> um, I would want the autonomy over uniform decisions just to bring back the racing stripe jerseys. <laughs> The little V-necks, the V-necks, home yeah. and away, the New York those, script. Yeah. yeah, I miss some of the gray jerseys too. Yeah, those are good. And get rid of the I blue miss- alternates. Like the only those, it's white pinstripes for home. I'll allow the you know the mid eight late eighties racing stripe jerseys as alternates, and I'll allow the uh, the cream ones. I like the cream ones, and then road grays. Period. Yeah, I try not to get you know too worked up about the uniforms and numbers and all that kind of stuff, but it does seem rather amateurish that the team constantly changes their uniforms year yep. to year. I'd also make everybody wear uh, stirrups in day games. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be the guy that makes it all the time for day games. Wear some stirrups, not just Sean Gilmartin. Yeah. Our next email is from Alan. Dear Jeffrey and this week's other dude, I wonder if you could give us an updated assessment of the big league expected date of the wonderful Wilmer Becerra. Maybe both a later pessimistic estimate and also an optimistic arrival date in Flushing. How has his performance this season changed slash influenced your opinion of him? That is, assuming you expect him to get to the big leagues at all. We have pity if, our only re- if his only real contribution to our fandom ultimately ends up being a podcast frolicking about selling jeans despite how chuckle-worthy those references are. Thank you. Totally love the podcast. Alan, P.S. I'm a Scottish Mets fan living in Norway. And we're all over Scandinavia, man. I in no way regret staying up until around 4 to 5 a.m. weeknights to watch this Mets team since the deadline. Most summers, the exhaustion just doesn't feel worth it. Um, I don't think the arrival date's changed. Um, he'll spend... At least the first half of 2016 in St. Lucie. You know, if, if he hits, if he's at the point now where he could hit his way out and get that'd be, to. Uh, yeah. That'd be huge. Get to Binghamton by the end of the year. That would be great. And that would, you know, sort of put him on a late 2017 track, which I think is probably your most optimistic yeah. outcome probably, there. Probably looking at 2018 ish. The problem with these guys is that they got to be added to the 40 man this year in Becerra's case. Yeah, because they signed so young. Yeah, I mean, Becerra's a weird one for me. And, you know, we're getting into sort of prospect list season. So this is the time when uh, we have to make these decisions. Uh, I don't know what to do with him. I mean, I like him. Again, the full-season ball performance is good. You know, you never know with these short-season guys if they're gonna if they're gonna hit sort of over across a across a higher level in a full season like that. It's a pretty significant jump from from Kingsport to uh, Savannah. And I can say Savannah because that's where he played. I know it's Columbia next year. Yeah. Um, but it's just a weird, it's a right field only profile, so he's got to hit a ton. He had a weird season, and I know, yeah, not a ton of power, but it's historic Grayson Stadium. 
was weirdly more of a singles hitter in the second half. I don't know. He's one of those guys where I think we'll learn a lot more about him next year, but you can't really ignore the the tools profile. Yeah, and and the Mets system is such a weird. I mean, um, the minor leagues so weird in that you know low A, you got a very pitcher friendly park. I don't. I mean, we don't know how Columbia is going to play, but and then you have St. Lucie, also a pitcher friendly park. So it's tough to gauge these guys. You know, until they until they get out of there. I mean, just look at. I mean, you can even look at what Michael Conforto did at St. Lucie. I mean, he he went double A, got even better. So it'll be interesting if we learn anything next year. Yeah, I. Uh, I mean, you just want to really see him do it again. I don't know. It's it's tough because again, it's it's a right field only profile. He's got to hit a ton. You know, it's probably a major league contributor at some point. You know, like a, a, you know, lefty masher off the bench. But it's one of those guys, I think I've said this before on the podcast, where uh, you wonder if he's like a better prospect than he is a major leaguer in the end. Well, how old, how old was he this year? 20. He was age appropriate. All right. Prospect for the Sally League, essentially. You still got some time left, Wim. Next email is from Michael. Hello, gents. Assuming we face the Dodgers in the NLDS, we will also be facing the buzzsaw that is Clayton Kershaw. Granky has no picnic either, obviously, but isn't pitches deep into games, and our lineup is much more dangerous versus the right-handed pitcher. I do think Kershaw is our biggest hurdle in our quest for a World Series trophy. We gain home field advantage. You would think 50,000 starved Mets fans could get into Kershaw's head like Cueto at PNC Park in the 2013 wildcard game. Secondly, would we really go into game one with our righty lineup? I know Terry's adopted son Murph will be in there, but would you play Ligaris and Kadire over Granderson, Conforto, or Duda? Lastly, assuming DeGrom and Harvey pitch in games one and two, who goes in games three. Thor's innings will really stretch out at, by that time while Mats will be fresh and ready to go deep. Who do you think matches up better versus the Dodgers? Curious for your thoughts, Mike. Taking this email as a Mets game against the Braves slowly falls apart and the Nationals have just taken the lead. Shit. Yeah, other than that. Um, uh, yeah. It's actually an interesting question because I was looking at it today and think, just kind of pondering what kind of lineup they would roll out there. And I, I just I just think that start you, your best players. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't start Lagaris out there. Um just because he's not a very good hitter. And I think that Kershaw's gonna eat him up. You know, I'd I'd, I'd I would like to have Granderson in that lineup just because he's a professional bat and he he might, you know might be able to draw a walk and um, Again, it's Clayton to, Kershaw. To, it's like platoon splits go out the window. You're facing basically a golden god. Yeah. Uh, at, my, at short, actually, uh, at short, Tahad has actually done pretty well against uh, Kershaw, uh, Kershaw in uh, about, I guess, 20 at-bats or so. So I believe that there, there could be something to that. So I'd probably roll him out at short over floors and see what we got going on there. But... Not really sure about what I would do at first base. I mean, are you going to start Duda against Kershaw? I mean, he's he's just not that good. Again, I mean, he's he, he's better against lefties this year. I get it, but like, it's this is like the best lefty, you know. Not sure if I would uh, roll Duda out there. I'm not sure what I would do at first base. I think you just have to play your best lineup. Yeah. I mean, I could see the argument for your rebay over Murph because the middle and field defense is going to be a tire fire no matter what. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I don't think you're getting, I don't think you're getting to Clayton Kershaw's head. No, yeah, I don't think the crowd's going to be able to psych him out. Although, I mean, hey, look, he's had some he's had some trouble in the postseason. You know, you know doubt starts creeping in. Keep selling yourself that. Yeah, I will. Anything else from Jesse? 
Howdy folks, I feel an irrational amount of relief given that the Mets now sit outside the bounds of their largest lead in 2007. Uh, he sent this five days ago when they're like nine and a half up. There's been much hemming and hawing by the Mets professional and semi-professional prognosticators over my fellow fans' delusional fear of the repeat of 2007. A major unmentioned aspect of the nature of this calamity with its concurrence with the financial crash and the obviously fraudulent nature of the Mets' owners and franchise, the Mets were a bubble that also popped. All rigorous statistics associated with the Mets and the U.S. economy turned out to be a house of cards. When followed by the mini-collapse of 2008 and really the outright decline of the following years, nothing has happened to prevent those fateful days of September from being the elephant in the room for every would-be Mets believer. This has probably been attenuated in more regular, saner, more professional observers. His more continuous experience with the Mets allowed them to move beyond this moment. The majority rest of us have demonstrably avoided the team as much as possible to avoid reliving this moment. Perhaps when the book is sealed on the season, we'll see a greater resurgence of the U.S. economy thanks to the end of the Mets' dark days. Anyone want to buy a second home in Vegas on a low-interest loan? <laughs> I have no idea what this email is saying. Hey, well, look, the Mets have gotten their own stimulus in, in, the, in the form of fans coming back to the stadium and spending money and, and buying tickets. So maybe the uh, the Mets economy is starting to recover finally. It does seem like it. My Twitter feed tells me that Terry Collins is doing some managing. Oh, boy. Um, so, yeah, it's like I said, that's, that's what, that was always the story, right? They come out to the ballpark, we'll spend... Was he implied yeah. or outright stated? Um, <laughs> hey, we were there. It was packed the other day. It was, and that and it, yeah, it was a weekend Subway Series against the Yankees with two competitive teams. But even yeah. even before then, they've done very well. Uh, really, since the uh, National Series, since the trade deadline. So perhaps, mayhaps, it might happen. Our next email is from Michael. A, a new Michael to add to our many Michaels. Oh, boy. Jeff, first of all, I wanted to say how many, how much I've enjoyed your commentary on the... Oh, this was only sent to me, too, so you don't see this. You're going to have to listen. Yeah, I got that. It's, it's podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com, people. <laughs> don't just send it to my personal email address. It goes to all the co-hosts. First of all, I just want to say how much I enjoyed your commentary on the Mets over the course of this year. Your criticism, when appropriate, enjoyment of the good times echoes my sentiments as a fan. Half the reason I'm writing to you tonight is just to let you know how appreciated that is in the in contrast to Sarone's unnecessary hand-wringing at this juncture of the season. To me, you've been the voice of the fan base over the course of the season. Now that the obligatory supping, sucking up is out of the way, I wanted to ask you if you're all concerned about this team's ability to hit top-end pitching. I didn't hit, didn't hit fucking Williams Perez tonight, so. <laughs> the lineup is deep and full of above-average professional hitters, but is that enough against the type of talent they're going to face in the playoffs? The idea of this lineup going to Chavez Ravine and facing Greinke and Kershaw in Game 1 and 2 terrifies me. Other than Suspedis, I'm not sure I have a ton of faith in many of the guys on this team to put together good at-bats against those guys, with the exception of maybe Conforto, small sample size, or Wright, classic go-down 0-2 battle back to 3-2 and strike out against premium beat at-bats. <laughs> Usually it's a slider off the plate, Michael. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I've been following this team the whole way up minors for the past four or five years, and my favorite Mets team since the Turk Wendell years. But I have serious doubts. That's an interesting way to categorize those it really, seasons. It really was. <laughs> it's too bad there's not some kind of stat to show this type of metric, something like WOBA uh, or WOBA crossed with DVOA with a tinge of added win probability. I think base runs covers that to a certain extent, or third-order wins also adjusts for uh, strength of opponents. Anyway, apologies for the lengthiness of the email. I've never been accused of being short-winded. Sorry, I'm not sorry. Best Mike. P.S. Good call on Four Roses. I always overlook the shabby-looking bottle. That was a mistake. It was a mistake, Mike, but one you have now rectified. Um, I mean, look, every team does worse against good pitching. That's why it's good pitching. You know, in the playoffs, the idea is... Uh, look, we got some good fucking pitching too so. right the idea is you you know you win the 3-2 game the weather's cold the pitching is better the high leverage relievers come in earlier um yeah, you, you try know, you to got... you try to get out of that first two games you try to get a split yep. you know however which way you can and then and then you're you facing game, who the heck is their game three starter brett anderson exactly 
exactly Brett Anderson or, or, or Bolzinger or whoever. Yeah. I'm not sure. But I, I think that you, once you get to the game three and it's advantage Mets, I, I think. I mean, that's the idea. Is that actually going to happen? I mean, they're two of the five best pitchers in baseball. But, you know, that's the, that's, it's the playoffs, man. It ain't easy. There's no yeah, easy outs, especially this year. Yeah, that's why you play the games. Good lineup, despite the recent results. Yeah, you try to, you know, you take your hacks. All you can do. And again, if you look at the how the the sort of the framework of the discussion has shifted to like, all right, how are we going to handle Greinke and Kershaw in the playoffs? Yeah. Enjoy from it. from like you know, oh man, Delson Herrera looks pretty good in this meaningless September game. Our final email is from Ray. Howdy, gents. I'm going to avoid the subject of the Mets in the playoffs because it terrifies me. I want to get your thoughts on the MLB playoff structure. The latest attempt to manufacture drama by adding a one-game wildcard playoff is fun and all, but it's definitely not just. I personally get annoyed by the trend in American sports leagues to reward lucky teams that happen to be, play- happen to be playing well at the end of the season. If it's up to you, how would you devise the season and playoffs? Love the pod. Hashtag love the pod from ray p.s congrats on the new bp gig jeff well thank you ray yeah i, I hate would, divisions i'll put it i'll put that out there you hate divisions i hate divisions uh i mean like well manufactured rivalries i guess i mean there still are travel considerations that have to go into this sort of thing i would say if it were up to me i would go back to two divisions east and west balanced schedule top four teams uh, two division winners and the next two best teams after that make it I mean, you're not putting the wild card genie back in the bottle because it's too the extra round of the playoffs is too much of a of a revenue driver you can probably get away with getting rid of the one game wild card playoff i mean i i i appreciate it as an outside observer i would be a complete wreck if my team was in it yeah uh, you know just as of today like it was like har- harrowing listening to you know Sheffield Wednesday in the round of 32 of a, you know, a, a cup tie knockout round that was invented in the 60s to promote night football. I'm going nuts at work listening to that. So, yeah, uh, that's well, what I, I would do. I think you yeah. get the best teams in that way. It's just you know, I, I I do have an appreciation for the, you know, the pre, sort of expansion and and realignment. You know, the best two te- best division teams make it. Yeah, once every once in a while, a hundred and one win team is going home. But the regular season should matter, and we have devalued it to a certain extent. I think. I agree, and I mean, I, I would my personally, I would probably take it a step further. I'd like to, I'd probably go one division on each league. Try to balance the schedule a little bit more. Um, just because things, it's kind of silly when you think about it. The teams, you know, you have an unbalanced schedule. It's like things aren't on an even playing field. Um, I know that travel would be an issue, but you know, who says you have to limit everything to three game series? You know, it, it's you can play more than that. Um, so, and and I would probably take the top four as well. I, I, the fifth game, the fifth wild card team has been, it's been good and bad, but. I mean, mostly good. It gets more people involved, but I, I, I too would like to place an emphasis on a regular season. So I'd probably just go back down to four. I mean, if there was only one wild card, that NL Central race right now would be a. It'd be good. It would be, be good. It'd be, yeah, it'd be, it'd be it'd be very intense. But right now, it's just basically fighting for home field advantage in the wild card game. Right, and, and, and you know it, that varies by year too, though. You know, it's it happens to be this year that the. There's not much of a wild card race, you know. Next year, maybe this it'll be more like the AL when there's you know three teams fighting for one spot. You just don't know. Yeah. The weirder you have the playoffs, the more likely a scenario there is for weird things to happen. I mean, like if you look at the NFL, you know, like there are four divisions, crazy things happen over there. You know, with with a fifth wild with a wild card team, second wild card team, you could end up with an 81 win team in there one year. You know that 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 seems a little bit. 
I mean, it's possible, and that seems a little bit... It's not impossible that it'll happen this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, with the AL. So it's, it's just, that's a little bit much for me. I mean, having a 500 team in the playoffs is, just seems wrong. You know, but as for you know, teams fighting it out and having playoffs and, and rewarding the team that plays the best at the end, you know, I just, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think that it, it's a very... Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's very American. You know, we just we want to we want to place a crown on somebody uh, at the end of the season. Re- you know, reward players for playing well in the clutch. Or I, I I don't have a problem with that. So those are your emails. Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. We already gave you a little bit of a Sheffield Wednesday update. We will give you an IFK Gothenburg update. To end the show, we are definitely headed into the home stretch. IFK has won their last two games since we last updated you. Um, but as the table sits right now, they play tomorrow on the road against Elfsburg. Really tough game. Um, IFK North Shoping and AIK have already won their game, their midweek games. So they're ahead on the table as it stands. IFK still has a game in hand. They're one point behind, so if they if they win or draw, they will go back top of the table. If they draw, it will be on goal difference. But they have a tough run-in. They still have AIK towards the end of the season, which may end up deciding the league against their uh, traditional rival in Stockholm. Getting very exciting. All right, yeah. They barely snuck by on uh, Sunday. It was a uh, tough See little... This? One nothing, huh? Yeah, one nothing against Hammerby, and it was a scrappy little goal. It was like a, it was like a cross into the box, a back heel deflection, it hit the crossbar and the post, and then went in. And I'm still not sure they gave it to Soren Reeks. I'm still not sure it wasn't an own goal, but whatever. And then Hammerby threw a bunch of flares into the crowd, and the match got stopped for like 25 minutes. It's I have been intense. I have been to a European soccer game where flares were thrown. It gets very intense in Sweden. Yeah, it gets intense pretty much everywhere in Europe, I think. Just the flares, although you don't see that much in English football, but in Italian football, I've seen it. Unclutch David Wright just tied the Mets game. So did he really? Did he, he did. really? He did. That's so exciting. It is. We should we should go watch the rest of it, Greg. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. All right. So we'll see you next week for another edition. Possibly heading back to Panic City. We'll see how tonight goes of Amazing Avenue Audio.